Shut up and sit down. Listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast, bringing you this sports show. What's it like to have a national show on Sirius XM Mad Dog Sports Radio? We'll take a look at that and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on episode 58 of The Bridge. (laughs) Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome back to another installment of The Bridge, coming to you live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, to bring you the best and brightest of the sports world. That's right, The Bridge is live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, though the show is technically pre-recorded. If you do miss the live show, the podcast version of The Bridge is available 48 hours after the initial broadcast, which means you can find the newest episode on iTunes or on my website at londonbridge.com on your Friday nights. I'll save all the ways you can listen to The Bridge and where you can find the show until the end of this latest installment. If anything, you can always call in or text in to the show 24-7 at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Contact the show with your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. All right, let's get into the fun stuff. Give me the siren. The fourth annual Francesicon was held at Irving Plaza in New York City this past Saturday as hundreds of members of Mongo Nation gathered to honor the sports pope. I was there. I was in the building. And was also selected to participate in a competition called Zon for Good with Mike Francesa leaving WFAN at the end of 2017 Bill Buchanan also announced the retirement of his Mike Zahn character that parodies Mike. The contest was hosted by the king of Christopher Mad Dog Russo impressions, Mike Benevento, and was to have contestants give their best rants or sports takes in front of a panel of judges that would then crown the winner. Well, I ended up winning the contest in front of an audience of about 15 people, And I penned an ode to Mike Francesa as my monologue, and I'd like to share some of the audio from that and also read that for you now. Here's this week's edition of Sports News Read Like Real News. John, Josh, John, what's the difference? John from where? Scranton, Pennsylvania. John from Scranton. Oh, the way from Scranton, Pennsylvania, folks. Put your hands together from John from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Yeah! 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 Y
I'm sorry. Chris, real quick. Timmy's a senior this year. How do you feel about that? I'm okay? so strong. I'll tell you, I forgot that my son it was his last game because going up in the fourth quarter, they were up by 21. Okay? Four minutes to go, they're up by five. Well, you know what happened? They took Timmy out. It wasn't right for They took right my son out. out. Was he a six foot two senior? Right Back in the days of sports talk radio, a dog teamed up with the sports pope, and the sports world would never be the same. There was no way of knowing the impact that Michael Patrick Francesa Jr. would have on the lives of listeners from around the country back when Mike spent his days growing up five damn feet from the Atlantic Ocean. But that young boy grew up to fall in love with sports. Though his fact-checking days are far, far behind him, Mike was once a statistic-wielding savant for CBS Sports and eventually made his way to a studio analyst, without the need of a labelless soft drink to remain sharp. His success from making bold predictions that often failed to come to fruition brought Mike to the radio airwaves and a relaunch station, WFAN. There, Mike wet his feet with weekend shows and a four-hour program from 10 to 2 before taking the leap to drive time and teaming up with Christopher Michael Russo. Mike and the Mad Dog was officially born. Though initially feared to be a huge mistake, the duo quickly developed a chemistry that mimicked that of Lennon and McCarthy. For just short of 19 years, Mike and the Mad Dog talked sports as hard as they could. Nothing could get by him. Turn it on and try him. Mike and the Mad Dog, double New Yorkers and New Jerseyans alike grew up with Mike and the dog. They became more like family than actual family members. Unfortunately, all good things must come to an end. Chris went solo, but his chair stayed empty, ending Mike and the Mad Dog in 2008. And while we're on that, can we get one more reunion before the end of 2017? What time? Not 20, one lousy goddamn time! Gee whiz! Every single beep that GD! Every single time! Though Chris left Mike, would you be worried? Mike indeed was on, and afforded us with even more knowledge that we never knew we needed. After all, Mike knows every star athlete to have ever played in the last 30 years and has been to every important sporting event in the last 30 years as well. Despite his sports knowledge, he never did decide to become a head coach. We learned that the Mink Man and the Mons deserve a six-figure payday for putting up with Mike, that Andy Pettit is a starting pitcher, that it would take a Jets receiver three years just to gain 157 yards, that an old report is much different than a new report. That it's fine to take a quick doze during an interview, okay? That it's fine to have dead air. 
Okay. That it's perfectly acceptable for a first-time caller, long-time listener, to wait on hold for an hour and a half just to get told to get lost. That Michael K. Well, you know. Hey, 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 hey. Nobody cares about him. In a radio world where Diet Coke flows freely like the rivers of Babylon and work vacations last just about the entire month of August, there will never be another number one. Number one! Number one! Number one! No one will ever have the same ratings, longevity, resume, and paychecks. However, Mike will remain a part of our lives. Mongo Nation will live on and continue to grow. The Witchin' Hour will continue to provide us with twists and turns and changes during every football season. And if another radio host was sitting in my backyard and tried to take the place of Mike, I'd draw the blinds. The bottom line is... Well, wait a sec. Put my mic on! I know I could care less. Today, we're all here to honor the Pope. He'll still get us the sports news any way that he can. Back after this. Mad Dog, let's put this to bed. Put this to bed. Who's the best? Who's the best? Who's the best? By far. How much time did it take? Yeah! That was about 45 minutes. That's what I mean. We put some serious effort in. Enough said. I have to agree. It was was a really good good spot. You showed the knowledge. You showed the jokes, the humor. Um, Humor. That was fun. That was really cool. It's about as much prep time as Mike puts into a show, right? (laughs) (laughs) Way more. Way more. I mean, I I thought that was a great tribute. I mean, that was, you know, you had the whole thing going and spraying. Are you from here? Relocated there? I visit here probably every weekend. So I hear a lot of JJ after dark just because I happen to be here, but I just hear that show whenever I can. I'm John Lund for Sports News, read like real news. As you heard earlier in the show, you can call in or text into the bridge at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Leave a voicemail or text your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. Now, we do like to pose a question each show to help give you the urge to call in or text in to The Bridge. This week, we want to know, what will you miss most about Mike Francesa on The Fan? Now, as you might know, last week in episode 57 of The Bridge, we aired part one of our interview with Patrick Maher. He is the host of The Rap, now without the W, on Sirius XM, Mad Dog Sports Radio, Monday through Friday, 9 to midnight Eastern Time. But instead of me making a second podcast, so you'd have to listen to part one at one place and part two here, I decided that I would combine everything together so you can hear the full interview in this episode, just to make things a little bit easier on everyone. So you'll get to hear both part one and part two, which means Patrick will tell the tale of how he got into radio broadcasting, starting with the Cosmo channel before finally getting into sports in Los Angeles. 
and getting to Mad Dog Sports Radio. He'll talk about that journey, turning down reality television, some of the things that he does with his show now, The Wrap, since moving from his original time slot much later in the evening. And he'll answer some submitted questions as well, some dealing with some other shows on Mad Dog Sports Radio. So again, this will be a little bit different. It'll be a little bit longer, but you'll at least get everything in one spot. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. You can follow Patrick's show on Twitter at The Rap Radio. That's with a W, even though his show now is The Rap R-A-P. The Twitter handle is at The Rap with a W. He does not run that account. The great producer Dustin Sweetelson does. But Patrick is on Twitter on a ghost account that helps him keep track of some sports gambling and horse betting. So he may potentially see what you had to say. So strap in and enjoy. Without further ado, let's get into that interview. We're here with Patrick Maher. He is the host of The Rap, now without the W, on Sirius XM Mad Dog Sports Radio, Monday through Friday, 9 to midnight Eastern Time. Patrick, thanks so much for joining us. How are you? John, solid intro. Good, buddy. Thanks for having me. Well, I've been listening to you now for two or three years, so I know all about a solid intro just from your show in general. It's nice to get to reverse the Good roles. Good job, by the way. Real quick, not to interrupt you. Good job, by the way, on the on the last name. We were talking about it before we came on the air. Say it one more time. How do you say my last name? Patrick Maher. Say it like Dog says it. Moa. Patrick Moa. Say it like Tori says it. Maher. Maher. Say it like Leslie says it. Oh, Leslie, I'm not sure how she pronounces it. <laughs> okay. No, remember Leslie that used to call it? Dude, it turned into, because Dog doing that whole Mawa thing turned into this where I never have a conversation with, like, Evan Cullen or Batrick or anybody that's associated with Mad Dog Sports Radio without them starting with Mawa. They're obsessed with Dog's pronunciation of my name. Dude, do you realize that the name the rap? First off, I can't stand it. Like, I never liked the name. But do you realize that the name, the rap, like when we switched times, like up two hours, a, a couple of months ago, whenever it was, we were trying to figure out what the name of the show was going to be because we wanted to rebrand. And then one, one day out of nowhere, Bill Zimmerman, who produces Mad Dog Unleashed, he writes in, he's like, so I have an idea. Why don't we just call it the rap and drop the W since you're not wrapping up the night? And we're all stupid radio people. We're, our minds were just blown. We're just like... That's it. That's amazing. Like, we couldn't even figure out how we came up with it. It's the most basic name of all time. Also, the best part of you rebranding was the several conversations on air, and I'm sure off, of what it would do for you to get rid of the Rap Radio Twitter handle now that it's verified and take the W off for it to just be the Rap Radio, even though that's been taken. It's a big thing now on social media for you guys to now find that new brand. Should you get rid of the W, it's an amazing thing to have to discuss. Nobody realizes what goes into doing a show. Well, and it's it's specific, and, we, you know, I'm weird, but I don't tweet or read the tweets on the air or anything like that because I really do think it's the Twitter's kind of taken over radio in a weird way. But I know that Dustin, who's my producer, I know that he literally got the biggest boner of all time when we got the blue check mark. So when we switched the show name, it got awkward because it's still at the rap radio with a W. But so every time I talk about the show name, I have to say with a W, which, which really freaks people's brains out. But it's a distinction I have to make. 
Right. And you do have 33,000 plus followers, I believe, if I remember correctly. So maybe they're just comfortable with it having the W, but they'll probably follow you wherever you go. Something that you'll get to talk to Dustin about as we go on. So people that are just tuning into this or don't know any of these names or what the hell we're talking about, we will get into that. I wanted to start off with a typical radio question that you've probably been a part of throughout your many years doing this. If I were to ask you who the most famous person is on your phone or the most famous person you know that you could get on your show, say, tonight with a couple phone calls, who would that be? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> the most famous, like, I don't know. I'm not good with famous. Maybe for me, like, my, my idea of fame is a little bit different. But Jude, Jude, Rude Jude from Chase 45 is one of my friends. We went to high school together. And I feel like he's the most talented person I know. So if I called him right now, I could get him. I know that's a boring answer, but uh, probably Jude. Because, I mean, I have people in my phone, but I don't think I necessarily want to talk to them. Right. That, that was going to be my follow-up. <laughs> like, even though you might have these quote-unquote famous people, it's like it's nice to have them on air, but I wouldn't necessarily want to call them to just shoot the shit. So let me turn back the clocks a little bit. I know you grew up in Michigan, and if we go off stereotypes, people probably think you just spent your whole time, say, fishing and watching sports. I thought we could go back to maybe your college days, some of the things you studied there, and a Cliff Notes edition of how you ended up getting some employment opportunities after graduation and where that path started. I like the way you phrased that. Let's see. So, yeah, I grew up in Michigan. And you know what's funny is before we started this conversation, you were like, I was trying to do some research on you and I Googled you and that's probably a bad idea. And I was just thinking about that as you said that because I've never Googled myself and it's not, oh, I'm so cool, but it's just like what you don't know can't hurt you. So I have no clue what is said, but I can just quickly tell you that I grew up in Michigan. I went to college in South Carolina at the University of South Carolina. And when I was finishing up school, I knew I always wanted to do sports radio. So randomly from our college house in Columbia, I called WDFN in Detroit and spoke with a young lady named Rona, who was the intern coordinator at the time. And I just begged her for an internship. And I left South Carolina for good just to go to uh, Detroit to take the, the internship. So that was kind of my path. I just I, I knew I wanted to be in sports radio, and I knew the only way to do it was to start interning and start networking. So that's what I did. Where did you end up bouncing around, not only through radio, but just with some odd-end jobs that you might have had to also take to make ends meet in the early goings of the radio industry? Well, this is, I mean, I've literally, I, dude, I've had every single job you could possibly, this is the easiest job I've ever had. Every day I'm like, this is going to go away because radio is the most basic, easy job I've ever had compared to pouring concrete or even working in retail or working, you know, at Damon's restaurant in Columbia, South Carolina, serving or bartending. If you name a job, even at a gun range, I used to be the dude that pulled the pigeons. If you name a job, John, I like the job that I had before I took, I went to Sirius in 2005 was 
I was the dude when you pulled up to get your oil change. I was the dude in the pit underneath the car. <laughs> and that was a, by the way, that was a promotion because prior to that, I was the dude at the same place when the cars came out of the car wash that drive the car. So my last job in, in Columbia, South Carolina was changing oil and drying cars. Excuse me, Charleston, South Carolina. Because when I lived there, I used to gamble and play poker online. And I just got really bad at it after making a living off of it for about a year and a half. And when I was really bad at gambling, I decided I needed a job. And I went to work at a car wash. So the long way of saying every job that you could think of I've had. Was there a low point for you while you were trying to either get back into radio or move up through radio where you thought that maybe it was something that just wasn't going to work out? Yeah, absolutely. I, when I was in Charleston, I got a call from an old radio friend that had got a job with Sirius at the time. It wasn't even Sirius XM. And he got a job on the Maxim channel. Maxim magazine at the time had, had bought a channel on Sirius. And he asked me, to, to come up and, and try out for it. And so I'm, tw I think, 25 at the time. I was working at the car wash, like I said, and I flew up to New York City, my first time ever in New York City, and I auditioned, and I got the job. And then I went back to Charleston. I was living with my girlfriend, this chick at the time, and I was like, I think I have a job in New York. I have to go. I packed up my truck, packed up my dog. Halfway up to New York City, I got a call from a person that was working at the channel and said, yeah, they took the offer off the table. You no longer have the job. So I had, I turned around. I think I was in like Virginia or something. I turned around with, and went back to the chick's house and was completely distraught. I don't know. Having something offered and having it taken away from you, it, it, it's worse. It, it felt worse than maybe not even having the offer. But it was a great experience. You know, it was a good experience of having that letdown because it made me a lot more hungry. How did you then end up getting too serious without being told that there wasn't an opportunity? What got you in the door and what got you to stay there? So then about six months later, after I went back to that chick's house, a friend of mine in New York City said, hey, you can come crash with us for a couple of months and, and see if you want to, you know, actually try to get something going in New York because I loved it up there. And so I went and crashed at their house, and um, I got a job, a part-time job running boards at Sirius, which basically is, for people that don't know radio, it's like you sit in front of a board and you pot up the levels and stuff like that. So I got a job just running a board at Sirius, and once I got in the door, I knew that that was you know, my opportunity. I know you as a sports guy, and I'm sure many of your current listeners only know you as that, but when you got behind the microphone at Sirius, I don't think the people that may have been listening to you then or may have hired you knew that you were a sports guy. What were your first on-air positions at Sirius and the channel that they happened to be for as well? So ever since I was 14, I was with my dad in our like, Honda, and he showed me sports radio. Like, that's the only thing I wanted to do. I was beyond, like, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And when I ended up back at Sirius, I got this job, you know, running the boards, like I told you. And then randomly, I got a phone call from this lady that said, they're starting up a Cosmo channel. Cosmopolitan Magazine, similar to Maxim Magazine, had bought a channel. And they needed a dude to do a radio show from the guy's perspective. And they said, we just need some bodies 
we just need some bodies to fill in and, you know, try out for the hosting position. And immediately I was like, absolutely not. I need to do sports. I'm going to do sports, blah, blah, blah. But I reluctantly went to the tryout. And at the time, I think Jerry O'Connell, like they had these quote-unquote celebrities that they wanted to hire. And I was just a dude kind of thrown in the mix. And then I did a, a audition. And, I, and it went well. It went to Kate White, who at the time was running Cosmo. And she called me in for a meeting. And she was like, uh, we want to hire you to be the, the male voice on Cosmo. And I was like, uh, no, I'm a sports guy. There's no way I'm going to do a chick, chick show. And she was like, just do it for one year and we'll see how it goes. And I was like, okay, because accepting that got me insurance. It got me a salary that at the time, I mean, it was really not much, but it was more than my dad ever even made. You know what I mean? So I was ripping out and I accepted the job and I wanted to do it for one year. And I think it lasted eight and a half years, which in, which in radio. I mean, in radio, that's like a hundred years, so it's crazy. But yeah, no, I did. The, I did a show basically talking to chicks about, you know, relationships, and it was, it was probably the most special experience in my life. The listeners were amazing, and I still think about it all the time. And this was the show deemed "Cocktails with Patrick," which is equally a trifling name, just like the rap. But Cosmo was about alliteration, or you know, so they. I was in the middle of the day, happy hour, East Coast, so they decided to call it Cocktails with Patrick. And, uh, yeah, call it whatever you want, because, I mean, I kept on getting checks and I kept on getting insurance. And then it kind of took on a life of its own where it was, um, you know, a dedicated... It was it was a lot of fun. I, I really think about those times fondly. What would you say was the most wild thing that you had to talk about, either as a topic that you came up with or something that maybe a caller brought to the table while you were on Cocktails with Patrick? A girl called up one time and talked to me about her husband. And her husband was, I deduced, was emotionally and potentially physically abusive. So I playing like Sigmund Freud, thought I was brilliant, thought I was going to disseminate the best advice of all time, and I started telling her what she needed to do and what her husband needed to do. I mean, I just thought that I knew everything, which is the most ridiculous thing ever, but I was, you know, I was just faking it till I made it, and I here telling her she needs to get a divorce, and I'm telling her what she needs to do with her life, and the conversation ends, and I'm thinking, man, I'm awesome. I'm a great person. I just fixed that person's life, and then two days later, I'm walking out of work, and this guy approaches me, and he comes up to me and goes, you Patrick? And I go, yeah. And immediately I'm like, this, dude, this dude's about to fight me. This dude's about to punch me. And it ends up, it's, it's the lady that I spoke to two days ago. It's her husband. And immediately I sensed that he was about to, he wanted to throw. So I talked to him, and we ended up drinking until 2.30 in the morning on 57th Street in Manhattan. And by the time it was done, like hugging, and I was just apologizing. I don't know who the ass I thought I was giving your wife advice about you. There's always two sides to every story. People, I should never have judged you before I do and bet you. So that's a long-winded way of saying uh, not a topic, but a scenario that ended up being pretty crazy. So for the listeners that might be in or near Los Angeles and know where Sirius XM's located, just let it be known if you call into Patrick on the rap without the W, maybe you can get drinks after the show if things go well on the phone or if they don't. So that's a great, great <laughs> anecdote. What an amazing story. I'm glad you guys didn't throw hands and, and got drinks instead. 
Did that show come to an end because the Cosmo Channel ended up coming to an end? Yeah, no, that's a good question. It, it came to, I mean, I think the show had run its course. I think that I probably wasn't doing the best job that I could do, which is something that, at, you know, I've learned from where maybe I, towards the end I wasn't giving my best, which is unfortunate. But I think the show kind of naturally ran its course. But at the same time, it also coincided with Cosmo, the channel actually uh, dis- like dissolving at Sirius XM. So in, in lieu of me not having a show, I think the management at Sirius thought he might be able to do something in sports. So what they did was they took me and they put me on what was to become the Bleacher Report channel in the morning. Me and my buddy Justin Permany were doing a show. Just basically put me in a studio to justify paying me. Right. <laughs> nobody listened. Nobody listened. Nobody called for four hours a day. Go figure this out until... Uh, an opportunity with Mad Dog Sports Radio. So to come full circle, I moved to New York in 2005 to do sports radio. I happened to do chick radio for about nine years, and then I went to a studio for about eight months talking to nobody, and then eventually ended up doing what I ultimately wanted to do, which is what I do now on Mad Dog Sports Radio. Now, I know there was a time where you tried to get Cox with P as it's shortened to back because of, I'm sure, the listeners that you knew of probably wanting the show to come back and were probably disappointed that it went away. One of the ways to rectify that was SoundCloud. I know there was a time you teamed up with KFC Radio with Sean Ryan Kilby, your former producer, Kevin Clancy of Barstool Sports. That was a pretty interesting way to go about it because the show was still there for people to get an opportunity to listen to. Did you notice that that show was something that maybe your former listeners came back to or new ones even got involved with as well when you did Cocktails with Patrick 2.0? John, I'm not a very smart person. I just told you I was changing oil. Not that it's the smart people don't change oil. I literally, the dumbest thing that I've ever done and I, I mean, I was working with a genius, Sean Kilby, who was my producer before, and I and I love my, I love Dustin, I love who I'm working with now. But Sean was a genius, but he and I were both not necessarily opportunists. So when the cocktail show came to an end, you know, podcasts were big, what four years ago or three years ago, whatever it was, but they weren't what they are now. And if we just started doing a podcast when it ended, we would definitely not have to work for somebody. And so. You know, that was initially in our brain, but I think both of us were just trying to, like, hustle and figure out how to keep a paycheck. And uh, to this day, I would like to say, I think every single day about starting off the Cocktails with Patrick podcast. So I, it is going to happen eventually. But, yeah, to answer your question, that's that's what we were thinking about doing, thinking about doing the podcast. That's good, because that was going to be my follow-up question, if you were ever going to consider potentially bringing that back. I know your days are a little bit more free now that your show is earlier, which may not make sense to some people, but I know in radio it's it's a lot easier now for you to be starting at 6. We'll get to that as well. I, I do have a small bone to pick with you, because... Prepping for this show, I did listen to one of the Cocktails with Patrick 2.0, and you interviewed someone years ago and didn't know who she was at the time as far as how we know her. I'm talking about Topanga, one of the stars of Boy Meets World, a show that I grew up with. You just knew her as Danielle Fischel. 
you're great friends now. You at least probably know a little bit more about the show and Girl Meets World now that she was able to tell you while interviewing her. Is there anyone else who was quote unquote famous that you've ever had the chance to interview that you weren't necessarily a fanboy of, if you will, or knew of their work. You were just doing a radio interview, and if you were a fan, people were probably extremely jealous that you had the opportunity to talk to them. Okay. I mean, it's such an interesting question because the misconception is that I pretended like I didn't know people because I thought I was cool. The only people I cared about growing up were like Isaiah Thomas, Alan Trammell, and Tupac. <laughs> I literally, dude, I was such a All I cared about was sports and hanging out with my boys and getting drunk. And, like, I wasn't a big, I guess, celebrity person. So, Danielle Fischel, who is freaking ridiculously nice and beautiful and all that, but she came into the studio, and I was like, this chick's kind of hot. And I knew who she was before, obviously, but I didn't really... I, you know, I had heard the name of the show, but I'd never seen the show, stuff like that. But what blew me away about Danielle is she was just quick as shit, and she was so funny and all that kind of stuff. But I think there were plenty of people like Khloe Kardashian or the Bachelor people that would come through the studio. What ended up being the charm of the show is that they didn't care about me, and I necessarily didn't care about them, not because I was being disrespectful, but just because it wasn't my world. And when you have an organic situation like that where people are just starting to get to know each other during an intimate a conversation, I think that made it a little bit more interesting, in my opinion, other than the fact that I was fanboying out on them. If, you know, Young Buck comes to studio or Jeezy comes to studio and does an interview with me now, I'm going to do a terrible interview with them because I'm a huge fan of them. So when Danielle Fischel came through, I didn't know who she was. And that's probably a better interview than I could have got with Biggie Smalls because I'm just getting to know her, which is a different way of approaching it. Or if, say, the director of Super Troopers stops by and you might tell him that Awkward. you've never seen Super Troopers. <laughs> yeah, no, I regret that. Paul Soder is one of the nicest guys ever, and he directed, acted, wrote Super Troopers, Beer Fest, which I called Beer League, the Artie Lang movie. So I, I think sometimes I think honesty is going to be good. So basically I said to him, yeah, I never, I've never seen the movie. And I could just see in his eyes just glimmer of disappointment. Right. I mean, this poor guy worked his ass off his whole life to make this movie that became a cult sensation. And who the hell do I think I am to be like, yeah, I've never seen it. But at the time, I thought I was just being genuine. But you know what? Because of that, we now have a relationship, and he's going to be coming in bi-weekly to do movie reviews on the show. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy that he would do that for us. So. Right, I was setting but that up for, for you. A little bit of a tease. That <laughs> a little bit of a radio tease up. for all you uh, listeners out there. That's what we do. So there's something that sort of overlaps this. And as you mentioned before, you've never gone down the watering hole to Google yourself or to see what other people might be saying. But if people were to type your name in, they're not going to get a lot of information about what you do as a radio personality and a sports guy and a sports broadcaster, which I'm trying to let people know about. Because some of the things written about who you may be are not necessarily completely correct or they don't go down what you should be known for. And a couple years back, I think it was in 2013, you started dating Stasi Schroeder, who's of the reality show Vanderpump Rules. And one of the things I appreciate, and I'm sure other listeners do as well, is that you've been very open with your personal life and your dating life and things that are going on with you and don't necessarily hide those types of things. But I'm sure that doing that probably had to take some getting used to. 
And even though you're not necessarily on the social media scene, how crazy was it for you to be around all those cameras and, and that sort of lifestyle that was probably far different than what it was like, say, growing up in Michigan? Yeah, I mean, I'm a redneck. Like, legit, my dad is a postal employee. My mom was a clerical person. I mean, I'm not... What is this? Well, first, let's go back to your original part of the question. The idea of Googling yourself or Twitter, right? So, I mean, I have a pretty good idea of who I am, so I don't really need people to tell me, so that's why I don't look up this stuff. But don't you get frustrated, John, when you hear grown-ass men talking about social media and they say... Literally, oh yeah, I just I don't pay attention to it. I don't read the app mentions. I don't do any of that. And then while they're saying it, you realize that they're the exact same person that obsesses over their app mentions and what people are saying about them. Right, like, right. We I, get that a lot that, in like, athletes and radio that, and everywhere. I can sincerely tell you, I've just never. It's not something that interests me. Maybe it's insecurity. I have no clue. Uh, we were talking a little bit before this started. I'm good. Not that I'm good. Like, oh, life is perfect. All that kind of shit. You know, I know people are going to have good opinions of me. I know people are going to have terrible opinions of me. And really, they're all the same. To get to your other part of the question, um, when, I st- when I started dating Stassi, who is just literally my favorite person on the planet, I told her from the beginning, I said, you know, it started off as a joke on my other radio show because I said I used to clown on reality television, being a little too judgmental. And I said to her from the beginning, like, we can date, but I'll never, I don't want to do reality TV. And she was like, I don't want a boyfriend that's going to do reality TV. I think at the time she was probably looking for something a little bit different. But like the producers and everybody told her, people always say they don't want to do reality TV, but that's just a facade for the fact that they really want to do it. They just want to be asked to do it. So once it came down to, okay, we're now years into our relationship, you have to do reality TV, I was like, no, remember, I told you I didn't want to do it. So it was um, it was a little odd to navigate, but at the same time, it was by far my favorite three years of my life. What was your reasoning for turning that down? Because most common people, I guess, or everyday people would probably love to have the opportunity to do reality TV, I guess not really realizing what would happen and have cameras in your face all the time and and what that life would really be like. But if you asked people, would you like to be on reality TV? They'd probably look at what that paid or whatever else would go into it and say, sure, at least in the beginning. What was your reasoning for deciding that you didn't want to be part of that? Well, it's going to be a very cheesy answer, so get ready. I was 35 or 36, something like that, when I met Saucy, and uh, I realized I had never been in love before. So I had dated, but I, when I met her, I felt different. So when I felt that about a human being, I stepped back and kind of deduced that if we went on a reality TV show together, it may, I know this sounds crazy, the reality may not be reality. <laughs> so I thought, if we somehow can navigate this and keep it separate, I would prefer to continue to be in love with her as opposed to profit off of her. So it maybe didn't work the way that I had hoped, but I genuinely went in with the right purpose to not do that so we could stay together. Um, And plus, like, frankly, I love radio. Radio is a very intimate medium, something that I always wanted to do. I love the fact that you can just close your eyes. You can be blind. You can be anything, and you can paint your own picture. And TV was nothing that... It just wasn't something that interested me, not because I thought I was too good or too whatever for it. I just didn't 
It just didn't get me going. You know what I mean? I like gambling. I like going to watch sports races. I like going to Vegas and gambling on sports. I'd much prefer get a job in that as opposed to doing a TV show. So it just wasn't something that interested me. Not to take this show down to the Cosmo path that you've dealt with with Cocktails with Patrick, but in that relationship, I'm guessing that when things came to an end with that, it was probably the hardest breakup that you experienced. Do you think the experience with Stasi and the things that you were able to go through through that three to four year period will help you now down the road when it comes to that sort of thing, just because you now know what you would be looking for and, and to be able to experience something like that again? My only regret, and this is for every dude listening to John's podcast, would be that I didn't experience every moment a little bit more genuinely. I look at those three years now, and I'm like, that was the best experience of my life in that relationship. But I was too worried about things. You know, I wasn't present. So now I think I would probably be better at, you know, if I were to date or anything like that moving forward, because I would be now as opposed to worrying about before or after or what's going to happen, just experience what it is. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, thanks for making me sensitive, John. Yeah, we're going to switch topics immediately because I knew that was a, that's a watering hole. We don't need to go down. Now going no, to... No, but I think it is... Well, hold on. Let me, inter- let me interrupt you because I think it is important. This is what happened for eight and a half years where all of a sudden what would start to happen on that show is it was all chicks that listened. And then all of a sudden I started getting calls from guys that were at Fort Bragg that were military commanders. And the last show that I ever did on SiriusXM, this sergeant, and the army called up and he cried. And he cried because he said, you know, I never, there was never an outlet where a dude was being sensitive or real or just talking shit that was normal in life. Um, and so I became more confident and secure in myself talking to women than I ever did talking to any of my boys. So I do think it's important to, you know, often to be real as opposed to just, hey, who's going to win the Super Bowl? Do you know what I mean? I think any guy listening to this right now is probably thinking, I really hope he brings back cocktails with Patrick because I got a lot of stuff that I need to talk about, you know? (laughs) Thank you, John. I appreciate that. That's nice of you to say. So getting to Los Angeles and starting up your new sports show, finally, in the rap, what was that process like to get that show started, to get yourself a producer, to get comfortable being in a late night show for East Coast guys, but almost like a, we're leaving work now, we can listen to this show as an LA guy, along with having sporting events happen all throughout different times of your show as well? It was like the most humbling thing I ever did because when I thought I was, I thought I was Howard Stern, basically, when I, when I got done with my eight years on Cosmo, I was doing a show three to six. I was living in the East Village in Manhattan. I thought I was an important person. And then they were like, we have this position, but it's going to be on from 11 to 2 o'clock in the morning, East Coast. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. And I quickly realized I wasn't what I thought I was. Um, so the experience of starting the show and building a new show was the most humbling, but rewarding, invigorating experience I've ever had. Because first off, to be very clear, sports guys are the most insecure group of all time. Like we all think we have something to say and people must listen to it. So when I went from a girl, think about this. I went from a girl channel to sports. What do you think the rest of the people, rest of the guys in sports radio thought about me? You know what I mean? Who's this 
whatever you want to call me. So I, I really enjoyed the experience of proving to people that you could cross over like that. Because I don't think people probably knew that I worked in sports radio for years before when I was a kid. You know what I mean? All I was known for was talking about periods and why a guy won't propose to women. <laughs> it was more, I was obsessing over sports the whole entire time. So it was cool to kind of transition but the Los Angeles move, to answer your question, John, was crazy because when I got to SiriusXM in Los Angeles, there was nobody out here. So it's kind of like I was just on an island, you know? Sean was back in New York City, my producer, and I was just in a little studio by myself, and we just slowly but surely built it up. Did you find that it was an easier transition for you into the sports radio demographic? Because since you were on a little bit later, at least in the East Coast, you had a little bit more freedom, really, with Sean and be more relaxed and not have to analyze games or preview games and focus on that, whereas you were able to sort of probably get your own identity as a sports show host because you were on a little bit later. The transition might not have been as difficult as it might have been if you were, say, thrown into the drive time slot. Yeah, that's actually a great question. I don't consider myself... A radio radio is at the most exciting time of all time right now because whether it's sequential stuff like you're doing with podcasts, people are starting to realize that telling people what the date and time is that doesn't make any sense. And now, so people aren't just being lemmings or following what everybody else used to do in broadcast. So when I was doing the night show, it just kind of felt like nobody was listening. So it was really an opportunity for me to do what I was doing on my old show, but during sport, but just, you know, coming back from a break mid-conversation or not pretending to have a good voice, which I don't. I was just, okay, radio should sound like you're hanging out with your boys and not like you're talking down to people. And doing something that late gave me the opportunity to build whatever the identity was on sports radio without having the pressure of having to sound like everybody else. Aside from the potential change in some of the language you were able to use at that late hour, what do you miss the most from being on from that 11 to 2 Eastern time slot and starting your show at 8? I don't miss anything. I don't miss anything. I'm so excited about new the new challenge of a new audience. Here's the thing. If you're doing a different type of show, People not only are not going to like your show at first, but they're going to freaking hate you. <laughs> so I've been excited about this. I was excited, John, about this transition because I was excited that I knew everybody was going to despise it. And I was excited about trying to change their opinion of it. I think we had gotten too comfortable at night because there really isn't a huge audience, 11 to 2 a.m. You know, no offense to serious sex, but there really, I mean, I don't think, I didn't, I didn't get a sense that it was huge. Um, moving back two hours is a game changer as far as exposure. So I was, no, to answer your question, nothing. I like it better now. <laughs> so for people that don't know what we're talking about, a couple months back, Mad Dog Sports Radio shook the channel up, moved some shows, added some others. That bumped you down to now the 9 to midnight Eastern time slot. That also brought in Dustin as your producer, Ed on the ones and twos, and you're now Monday through Friday. You get to have Sunday off. How would you describe where the show is now and maybe how you would like to see it continue to improve in the future? Just quickly, I had flown a couple of months back to New York. Originally, we were going to do the show 4 to 7, 7 to 10. Okay, So 4 to 7 my time, 7 to 10. 
And then at the last minute, they moved me back six to nine and then nine to midnight because uh, Rick and Nicole came in with Left Coast Live, which I think is a great show. So, But my original goal, John, was to do straight up West Coast drive time. Serious is, is just legit East Coast dominant, right? So even though I'm from out there, if I was going to come to Los Angeles, I wanted to make sure that there was an opportunity to make a statement West Coast style. So now that I had been out here three years, I told them, I was like, I just wanted to do drive time West Coast. So in doing so, we moved back two hours, which is kind of, you know, six o'clock West Coast time, uh, catching the end of drive time. And didn't answer your question, so I'll answer it this way. The show stinks. The show needs to get a lot better. <laughs> the show sucks right now. And we're going to continue to work our ass to get it better. Dustin is my producer and he's dude, the kid's really really just a funny and genuine good dude and we're starting to work well together so i think the show's going to get better but i'm not happy until it's really good the biggest change that i've noticed from this show compared to the rap with a w though you don't use social media aside from that ghost twitter handle you use to get your gambling and horsing bets and ideas from Social media is a pretty big staple of the rap now with those pre-show videos you guys do, with the Snapchats you send out, with the poll questions of the day. The influence is a lot bigger now. What made you decide to move in that direction to try and get that demographic on board with what you guys are doing and to build that audience up as well? Completely inevitable. Facebook Live is about to take over the planet. Periscope is a little antiquated at this point, but it, it, it meant well. It had a good purpose. Snapchat is a juggernaut that won't be stopped. Basically, radio is a very intimate medium, but it definitely needs a visual component at, in 2017 associated with it. So we're basically going in a direction where you're not going to listen to a radio show that doesn't have a visual feed. In doing so, we're doing these pre-show, having fun with these pre-show videos because we're just kind of building up to a point where you're going to hear through your speaker's radio, but visually you're also going to experience it as well. And I'm well aware that's coming, so I think I'm just trying to get a jump on that. How have you managed to continue to avoid using Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat aside from the show itself account which is run by Dustin how have you managed to avoid Twitter much like your boss Mr. Steve Torrey does as well first off let me be very clear I have a private Twitter account where I follow horse racing sports gambling the news outlets I obsessively check on, on horses I obsessively check on gambling I obsessively check on news I obsessively check on Jim Rohn. But like, I, I love Twitter, but what I started to honestly hear when I would hear radio shows is I would hear hosts, their inflection and their whole entire presence change because I could tell they were reading Twitter and I could tell that they were being affected by it. And it really, really struck me the wrong way. I didn't want to hear a grown-ass man getting in his feelings because somebody said something that wasn't right on Twitter. So when I heard that, maybe in some way that's happened to me. I have no clue. So I decided that I was just going to stop it. We use it. We use it. And we use it effectively because Dustin's very good at it. But I think that there's going to be a trend eventually moving forward where guys will start 
not getting in their mentions on the air and start focusing on good radio. It would be nice. I hope you can start that movement. <laughs> I mean, think about what it is. Dude. Think about it's just our thirsty appetite for attention. What, right. My point is, I got somehow got lucky enough to be able to do this stupid show. That's enough attention. For three hours a day, I'm forcing, I'm, I'm thinking people should listen to me. Why do I need more attention by putting the little at sign and figure out what people are saying about me? Like, I think my, my ego is sufficiently uh, fed through being able to talk for three hours a day. I don't need to continue to refresh Twitter to figure it out more. I do hope, though, that someone's listening and is now going to attack Twitter and try to find your ghost account that you use just for your personal use and see if they could track you down. Never! <laughs> you assholes. No, there wouldn't be. A... And by the way, I don't really, I don't have a problem. All of my friends are way into Twitter, and I respect the hell out of what anybody does. I'm just saying what I like to listen to, what I like to hear is um, I want a host to give me a reason care about them and care about their show and if i hear them reacting to twitter it makes me care less so along with twitter and social media and the on-demand app that serious subscribers can use as well have you noticed that you've kept similar listeners to what you had on the late night show how is the demographic from what you've been able to hear or see so far in this new time slot compared to your previous show it's way more dude it's exponentially more if you do radio long enough, you, you can it, you can just feel. It sounds existential and weird, but you can just feel if you have an audience, you, you can feel if people are paying attention, and the feel is way way different. It's a, it's a, just to answer your question straight up, it's a much bigger audience. If you think about on the most important cities for Sirius are cities where people are just sitting in their car, because Sirius is still such a valuable thing, an asset for cars. If you're just sitting in your car, Sirius is the shit. Sirius, I, and I don't even care. I'm not a big company dude or whatever, but I never listened to Sirius in New York City because I rode the subway. And then when I got to L.A., I started listening to it. So if you think I was starting at 8 o'clock here in Los Angeles, and now I'm starting at 6, do you know how many more people just randomly are going to come across it, even at 6 o'clock as opposed to 8? You know what I'm saying? So it's just the opportunity to get that many more ears is invaluable. So getting into the potentially hottest thing that you have going for your show, the hot box, <laughs> and all the hosts on the channel seem to love this segment because really it's a highlight of themselves. This segment, for people that don't know, is clips from the shows throughout the channel, from The Morning Men to Adam Shine to Steve Torrey to Mad Dog to Scotty Wetzel to Nicole and Rick. And you guys pick one or two minute clips from whatever they've talked about in their show and then vote on who had, quote unquote, the hottest take in a ode to Stephen A. Smith, former Mad Dog Sports Radio host, now back with ESPN. You will hold the Sassy Awards when all this is said and done. I'm very excited for that. But how did this segment end up coming about, and what would you say the overall reaction has been from it doing this every night now? Come on, even coming out of your mouth, that sounds brilliant, no? But come on, that's a good idea right there. <laughs> All right, kind of, a, this is going to be long. When I got the radio, the one thing I realized is that people would always be nice. Radio is the most insecure business on the planet. I met Evan Cullen and Babchick, and they were so genuinely nice to me, and I was blown away because in 10 years 
I just would be, people would come up to me and be like, hey, man, love your show. Hey, man, I think you're awesome. And then two minutes later, somebody would come up and be like, that person was just talking crazy shit about you. I say that to say this. What I thought would be funny is to create a segment where it's all about synergy and we're like bringing the channel together and clowning on each other. And I thought, you know what? Oddly enough, I think if we, if we do something, if I do something where I play clips of the other shows and say, objectively, that was really good or this was really bad and treat it like a family, I thought the channel could, could benefit from it because now this channel and the shows are about the shows, right? Because you, really, you don't really tune into sports talk radio to hear my opinion on Brock Osweiler. You do, like, people don't realize... The people that listen to Mad Dog Sports Radio, they care more about the drama than they do about sports. They just pretend to care about sports. So what I thought would be funny is to play these clips and then have this legit, objective discussion about the minute clips from the shows earlier in the day and do it in a way that's lighthearted, yet in a way also being real about whether or not the segments were good or not throughout the day. And we were going through a transition, as you said. We were going through a transition with the channel, and I'm like, what better way to transition with the channel than to kind of have everybody playing along? Well, it started off as a small idea that turned into the other hosts are, like, texting to be like, who won the hot box today? Did I win? How come? Who? What, what take won? I think Steve Torrey, my boss, only listens to the show to see if he won the hot box, which is cool with me because it gets people to listen. But, like, Bad Chick will send us five-minute clips because he just can't, he can't figure out what he thought was his best clip of the day. And, you know, Adam Shine is tweeting about it. And then Nicole and Rick are tweeting about it. And honestly, dude, I just think it's fun. I think it's cool to have a channel that people are into each other as opposed to a channel where people are just secular and all about themselves. So I thought it was a good opportunity to do that. Sorry to be so long-winded. No, that was a great answer because I agree. I also think it's great that people that listen to your show or solely listen to it just for that segment can hear what's going on on the other shows and that might in tune make them want to go on demand or try and find what they were talking about for that specific topic so full circle i think it's a fantastic thing that you guys are doing it inspires me too dude it inspires me too because like i'll listen to your podcast i'll listen to college radio i'll listen to high school i love radio so i'll listen to anything whether it's howard stern or high school and I'll become inspired by like a way that somebody approaches a break or a way that somebody sets up a topic. So when I listen back to the shows during the day, whether it's Morning Men or Shine or Tori or Mad Dog, I am continuously blown away by and inspired by how different everything is and how talented everybody is. I don't know. I just get into it. It inspires me. It makes me want to do better. Well, a lot of pressure now when I put out this show to make sure I have good segments and stuff surrounding your interviews. This, so is, gonna be, this is gonna be mo- your most popular podcast in the history of podcasts. You're well, welcome. I'm gonna tell you straight up, you have a lot of competition because when the Morning Men were both on, you probably won't be surprised to know Mike Babchek's show was the highest listened I've ever had, and Evans was a close second. Sorry to Steve Torrey, he was third. So you do have competition set before you, but I think we've oh, already no, done Oh, no, no, dude. I don't think – listen, I, I, it's been three years. I don't think I've quite caught on. There, if you're going to be a dude with a man bun that, that dated a reality TV star – you got an uphill climb, bro. Like, like, guys are so judgy and get so caught up in their feelings that the biggest audience of my show are black guys. And the reason for it is because is they're not as insecure. 
so they just accept me for who I am. The the uphill climb for being to people thinking I was gay because I did a girl show or because I have a freaking stupid man bun or whatever it is. The uphill climb to get past that shit just to talk sports is the most hilarious thing I've ever encountered. The judgment is hilarious, and that to me is actually what inspires me. So I I say that because you're talking about bad chick and, and having the foundation when I when I would go on and fill in for them would be like who's this what's up who's this that did Cosmo dating a reality star let's be real for a second who wouldn't want to date a really really hot reality star but right. I mean like why wouldn't why would why should I apologize because I got lucky enough to date a dime piece you know what I mean it's so ridiculous. But, no, it doesn't surprise me that Patrick's popular. Patrick is a genius. Let me give you a couple quick hitters and a couple submitted questions and get you out of here because you've been way too kind with your time and probably should be, you know. And I had a coffee, so I'm interrupting you and constantly talking too long, so I apologize. Well, I've been drinking it throughout the interview as well because we are on different time slots. To start that (laughs) off, do you miss being away from New York, both in the living situation that you had and in the fact that, the majority of the people that you work with on the station are there. And not to say that you get left out of things, but just being on the West Coast, you might miss out on where you can go and get a beer with Justin Termini or do things like that with those guys. You're doing your own thing in Los Angeles. Is there a part of you that kind of misses that? Yes, I, I, I miss, you mentioned Justin. I miss my friend dearly. New York is the most romantic, the best place I've ever lived. But I also am an introvert, so I like being alone. I like kind of being on an island. I like doing my own thing. So it's been a nice mix. And also, I will tell you, John, I know, I think you're East, you're Pennsylvania based. I grew up in Michigan. And as far as seasonal depression and just sunlight and all that kind of stuff, I can never imagine living somewhere else besides California just because it intrinsically makes it, it makes you happy just because it's always funny. You know, it's a cheesy thing to say, but it really is nice. Does it piss you off that, say, 33% of your coworkers don't know how to pronounce your last name. No, I don't care. Dude, you should my coworkers are a hell of a lot better at pronouncing my last name than my teachers were. <laughs> <laughs> Meager. I mean it's spelled M E A G H E R. If you got it right, I think you're weird. What's been your best interview and your worst interview? And not going based on how you feel about the person that you interviewed, but just how it was for radio. Who would you say gave you the best interview and then who in turn has given you the worst? My worst interview was was, was with Patty Stanger. Do you know her? I do not know. She's a millionaire matchmaker. Millionaire matchmaker. Nice. She's this beautiful lady that is uber, uber talented, but... She did an interview where she was kind of big-timing me, and she was literally having a conversation in the background, so I just hung up. I had meetings after meetings with people in management at Sirius because we're very hyper-focused on celebrity, which is cool at Sirius XM. And I guess I thought I, was, I thought I was cool, so I just hung up on her. But, she, I mean, she's so talented, but she wasn't necessarily focused on that interview, so that was a bad one. And then my best interview... Oh, I don't think, I mean, it really doesn't have anything to do with me. Interviews are just basically about how interesting the person is. So I think my best one would be Adam Dirks from Counting Crows, oddly enough, because he at first didn't want to be there and literally would give me one-word answers and then started to open up. And by the end of it, was really freaking, like, really interesting. I'm 38, so when that when that August and everything, after when that album came out with Round Here on it, it was a big deal for us. 
And honestly, John, when he was in studio, he told me literally on the air that he's really, really deals with hardcore depression. Yeah. And he got real about mental illness and mental disease. And, and depression is something I've dealt with in the past, so it was really, really interesting to talk to him. And he told me to, about the performances. He told me that he would go through waves of happiness and sadness when he's on the stage. And I thought that was fascinating because we just look at somebody like him and think, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Can you imagine? Right. And now I look at performers like that a little bit differently because he literally admitted, yeah, I have a hardcore depression and I often feel it on the stage, but I think about it a little bit differently. So that would probably be my best. So we have a couple submitted questions for you. And the first one comes from Packers fan 86. You might know him from the morning men as Packers fan. Sometimes he calls into the dog as Matt. What has been your most epic Halloween costume? My most epic Halloween costume. That's funny. Like, I don't even know superheroes, but for some reason, between four and eight years old, I got this Batman obsession. And literally every picture every year is me in the same goddamn Batman costumes and then to the point where it didn't fit. So I don't think I have an epic costume, but I know I was ride or die with Batman for like five straight years. All right, Dustin, if you're listening, bring that back for Halloween. We're just going to throw that out here now. (laughs) Bring it back for us. The second one you may know from the Morning Men for his spot on impressions of Mike Francesa. And this is going to be a tough one. You got to think about this a little bit. Patrick, hello. Uh, This is Brian from North Carolina. Welcome back. I've enjoyed some of the clips I've heard of your show. As you know, I've been in the business for a long, long time, 25 years, number one throughout, so you can work on that. Check the ratings. There's no doubt when you look on the Mount Rushmore, there's me, there's Bill, and that's about it, right? So, Listen, I wanted to ask you if you were worried about this question that I'm about to ask you. And it's a, it's a tough one. It's not a cookie. FMK, F. Mary Kill, of course. Maria Marino, Linda Cohn, Nicole Zalumas. Uh, the Left Coast Live and the whole thing. I'll take your answer off the air. Thanks. Well, let me just preface this by saying, I, like, I don't care about a girl's weight. I don't care about her age. I don't care if I do not discriminate i don't mean it in a cocky way like i can do it all the time i mean if she's down i do it um so i don't discriminate and i don't think i'm too good for anything these are all here's the sneaky one i've never met nicole the loomis who looks freaking ridiculous hot but um i've never met her but i have met linda cone and for dudes that grew up on sports center tv is weird like she always looks beautiful on tv in person She's ridiculous. Like, her body is ridiculous. So if you have a milfy thing going on, Linda is what's up. Mary F. Kill. Well, F. them all. Let's just start there. Mary, I'd say Nicole just because, have you heard her? She kind of, she did. she's really, like, funny and gets it and seems to have a good feel for life. And I don't know. She makes me laugh. She'd be the cool mom that comes to the soccer games or the basketball games that would probably bring snacks for everybody, but that she could also shoot the shit with the fathers that were there as well. I I think she'd be a good one for that. She literally, John, she literally, I wanted that time slot, and then they got that time slot. But, I mean, I'm happy for anybody's success. So I didn't know what to think at first. I would say when I listened to the Hotbox, the person that, that has jumped out at me the most, like I already knew Epco Radio is ridiculously talented and all that. 
and Patrick was funny, and, and Mad Dog is, you know, one of the greatest of all time. But honestly, she pops. She pops more than anybody. So I, yeah, I agree with you about that. So I guess I, I can't, I can't. It, you know what? I can't, I, I'm, I'm too positive to kill any of those people. So I'll just say, Mary Nicole, F, Maria, and Linda at the same time, and then kill them all. But I'm done because I don't think I'm very good at. <laughs> so they don't have a story to tell. <laughs> The last admitted question, would you ever want to do a show with Mike Babchek? Well, first off, I think he and Evan have something that when 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 um Steve Phillips left the show, I told Evan, I was like, Congratulations, because you guys are about to blow the f up. He and he and Babs are their chemistry is ridiculous. And having said that, I think anybody on the planet that does radio should want to do a show with Babchick because his specific genius is something that nobody can teach. It, his, his no shame ability to drop one-liners, ability to make shtick funny, ability to no timing, ability just to get shit is unbelievable. People that listen to your show might think that you don't necessarily care for the morning men and specifically Babchick, just from the hot box and things you talk about. Is there any truth to that? So is that, is that real? Do people think I don't like them? I don't know. Mike might think that you might not like him based on what you say. I have no idea. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> He'll probably be embarrassed when I say this, but I'm kind of the same way with Evan. But when uh, Babchick and I text each other, we'll randomly be like, I love you, man. I don't really say that to many guys, but I feel pretty close to him. I probably, the people that I care about the most, I clown the hardest. Like when I was growing up, John, and what I wanted to do on radio is me and my friends never were nice to each other. I know it sounds counterproductive, but we were just always just clowning on each other and trying to like outjoke one another and clap on one another. So there was never um, a time, where, it, meaning the more you got to know somebody, the more you could kind of make fun of them and have fun with them, and that meant you were friends. And that's what I got with Dustin started to become that. Dustin, at, the, at first, I didn't know if he was going to be able to do it, but now he's so great because he just flows with it. And if you ever heard me with Sean before, I literally made fun of Sean every single second. And I think Sean's maybe the smartest person I've ever met. So I just think if you're clowning somebody, that means you're close to him. Do you want to take a guess at who submitted the question of would you ever want to do a show with Mike Babchick? Probably Mike Babchick. 100%. Again, from a radio perspective, I think kids should listen to Evan because I think Evan has an ability to host a show that is hard to teach. And I think that people... Sleep a little bit on, I think Mike, because he plays the role perfectly, I think people sleep just a little bit on that he's really good at radio, too. So I, I'm i proud of those two, and I would love to do a show with them. Absolutely. I, you know what I would say about their show? is I don't think I could keep up with them. I don't think morning radio is for me because I'm a little bit more, like, it's so fast and loud. I don't know if I could ever keep up. Would you say that comparatively to the station, though, your show is the closest to what the morning men do? I think if it means taking risks and trying to be different, definitely. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Dog is a guy that wants traditional hosts on his channel, and he's the least traditional radio host of all time, aside from giving the time and weather, you know, like old school. So what he thinks he doesn't like in other hosts is what makes him genius. And I actually, I'm inspired by people like Evan and Mike and people that do radio differently because it takes some balls because you can keep a job in radio by just sounding like everybody else. But you can't really excel in radio if you sound like everybody else. To cap off Morning Men discussion, 
it was announced the day we are now doing this interview that Falcon 2 will be held June 3rd, 2017, in the New York City, New Jersey area. Are you going to come to that? What's f***ing bullshit is that they, I literally am good friends. They did not invite me last year. They can f*** off if they pretend like they did. Fouls, f*** off if you guys think that I was big timing. I would have been honored to go to Falcon 1. I got an official invite from one Evan Cohen for Falcon 2, and I will f***ing be there with bells on, and I will be celebrating Morning Men just like the rest of the fouls. So f*** yeah, I'm going. Hey, just as a tease, just as a tease, I might even bring a special guest for everybody. Well, I think everybody gets at least a plus one. Some people have brought their wives, their children. I don't necessarily know why they would subject themselves to that, but I'm excited to see who the plus one's going to be. Yeah, it's going to be a Kardashian. <laughs> you I'll, got plenty to choose I'll, from. I'll, I'll, I'll make you guys wait to see which one. P.S. It's Kylie. All right, the last question to get you out of here. You've mentioned that you love to gamble, and part of your show usually involves gambling every night in game shows. Always a good place to go to maybe get an idea of what to throw down on. Whether or not it ends up being the smartest thing the next day is yet to be decided. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. The NCAA tournament is going to be coming soon. I just want to get an idea from you about how we should go about attacking betting for the NCAA tournament. If it's wise to throw down on the first and second day, wait to the end. What is your stance on maybe how we should go about that when it comes around in March? John, let me be very clear. Since I'm 13 years old, my number one obsession in life is gambling. <laughs> and I let me also differentiate. I don't, when I go to a casino, I don't play any game. Like, I don't play blackjack. I, I used to play poker online, but I don't play in a casino. I'm not a gambler in the sense that need action on games. Sports gambling since I was a kid has always been, and, and horse racing has always been my, I don't want my bosses to hear this, but if I could somehow just end up at the track every day and make a good living betting on sports, I would do that so fast it would make your head spin. Like, I love the idea of being holed up in a room by myself and studying lines and studying trends and looking at the games and watching them play out. Um, so that is my number one thing. And we're going to go to, we're going to be in Vegas for March Madness, which I'm so, you should come, man. I'm so excited about that. We're going to be there Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And we're going to have all of the big time gamblers in Vegas on the show that are going to give tips. Brent Musburger, please, for the NCAA tournament oh, for yeah. old times, oh, he's got to be in. Without a doubt. I'm 1,000% going to get Musburger on the show. But I don't, you know what? I, I run hot and cold. I, I actually have profited a lot off college football. College basketball and the NBA, which I'm, I'm obsessed with hoops, but I just can't ever really consistently win. So I don't know if I have, my, my advice all the time is just be a contrarian. If you're stuck and don't know what to do, take the dog. Basically, that would be my advice. Usually day one, the one in 16, take the dog when it's minus 32 for whatever the one seed is. That's a lot of points, you know, and you get those. A one's never going to be or lose to a 16. At least we're not going to be able to predict it. But when the spread is like 35, that's a lot of points. That's usually what I oh, go if for. Spread is, yeah. I mean, if the spread's 35, you're going to find a backdoor situation. You know, they're going to, the, the favorite will be winning by 42 points at some point, but the, 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 it'll end up being a 31 28. Point you know, something like that. I know that's an arbitrary number, but there'll always be a backdoor situation where those kids on the on the favorite team let down late. 
Well, Patrick, I can't thank you enough for coming onto the show and giving me far too much time than what I probably deserve to tell your story and peel the curtain back a little bit from what you've done in the past and to what you're doing now. I think where the show is now is at a fantastic place. I know it's only going to get better, so I'm very excited to see where things are going to move, and I'm sure you are as well. So continued success with everything you've been doing. It's been a pleasure getting to find out a little bit more, and I hope more people will now become more involved with your show and, and see where things take them because it's definitely something they shouldn't be missing. I'm really sorry for giving the longest, most self-indulgent answers, but I do appreciate you having me on your show, John. And uh, thank you. Thank, anytime you're in Los Angeles, you need to come up in the studio and hang out. You know, radio guys do enjoy talking about themselves, though. I found that out, and I don't mind it at all because I think people should know about what they're about. But I've never done a podcast. Like, literally, you're the only one I... Not because I think I'm cool, but I just never gave, I never did podcasts. You know, everybody wants to be on everybody else. I've never done a podcast just because fear of talking about myself. But when you asked me to come on, I'm like, fuck it, I'll just do it. Who cares? So it felt good to talk about myself. You're like a therapist. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, you've been talking to people on Cosmo for eight and a half years about their lives. It's time, I told you, it's good that we got to reverse the rules and at least allow you some some time to vent as well. Thank you, John. I really appreciate it. That's going to do it for The Bridge. You can listen to this show and all previous shows over on my website at londonbridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can also follow me on Twitter under that same handle, at London Bridge. You can subscribe to The Bridge Sports Podcast on iTunes. Please leave a positive rating and review if you enjoy the show. And by doing so, you'll immediately be notified when new episodes of The Bridge are posted each week. You can also find the Bridge Sports Podcast on Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can also visit londonbridge.com slash email to subscribe to the Bridge newsletter, which will provide weekly updates and behind-the-scenes information about the next show. And don't forget, you'll be able to find our entire interview with Patrick Maher on Friday, March 10th at londonbridge.com or on iTunes under the Bridge Sports Podcast. In the next installment of The Bridge, we'll discuss some NBA, dive into Major League Baseball, dabble with some college basketball talk, and whatever else I might happen to have up my sleeve. On The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports.